Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. El segundo intento, que volea, que golazo. Con la pierna izquierda, Mesut Ophil. Te puede enamorar. 1-0, tanto de Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, not with James from Gunnerblog, who, as you will understand from the fact that Arsenal are doing poorly, is having still a marvellous time on his honeymoon, the far side of the world. However, I am joined this week by JB, you'll know him on Twitter, at Gunnerpunner. Welcome to the Arscast Extra. Thanks for filling in. Hello and good morning, Andrew. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. I'm all right. You know, all things know considered. good morning because it's not, but... Well, I think it's just I polite. Mean, bad morning's just not a greeting, is it? No, it's not. It's a polite thing to say to somebody when you're uh, on their podcast. Good morning. I think it's it's normally we can separate the good morning from the arsenal of the situation, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's great to be on. It's kind of a shame that you've got me on in a week when there's just not really much going on in football, so there's not a huge amount to discuss, but We'll yeah. do what we can. Yeah, we'll tease what we can out of what little there is out there. Uh, the uh, big news this morning is that Hector Bellerin is now following uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on Twitter, on Instagram and all those things. So I think we can say with assurance that that is very much a deal done. And uh, I th- I'll be sad to see Bellerin playing at Dortmund. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the real shame there is why, why he didn't just show more intent and get it done in the summer. You know, if he'd followed him in, in June, we might be sitting top of the league. Absolutely. Because, uh, yeah, sure, that one guy would have made all the difference to uh, to what's going on this season. So, uh, look, we do have lots to discuss because there is loads going on. There's Arsenal's defeat to Bournemouth. There is the ongoing saga regarding Alexis Sanchez. There are transfer rumours with players coming in and players going out, reportedly. So we'll do our best to get to as much of that between now and the end of the show as we possibly can. As usual we'll answer questions that you sent to us uh, on twitter in part two but let's start at the beginning or start at the beginning of wh- where we need to be today and that's the the game against bournemouth yesterday no alexis sanchez and we'll cover that i think in a bit of detail no uh Mesut Ozil because he's sidelined with a knee injury when you looked at the team yesterday and the other injuries that we've got of course kashalny is out uh, ramsey just on his way back monreal out did you look at that team and think that that's a team capable of of taking all three points against Bournemouth, a team lying 17th in the league and with one win in 12? I want to say yes. <laughs> I, re- I really do. Um, and in reality, it should have been. But, you know, it's not the first time this season we've we've said that team should, should have been good enough to win. And then, you know, we're sitting here on the other side of, of, of the match and wondering how we lost. So I think, look, I think the first thing to say is, that was our first team. You know, maybe Ad Erzelin, Ramsey was on the bench, but it's basically, that's the best team we could have put out. He didn't drop anyone. He didn't really rest anyone. Maybe Alexis, but it looks like he's off. And, you know, that is what we have right now. 
Mm. Um, you know, we had two teams earlier in the season, whether you want to look at this first 11, second 11 thing that we had going, but gradually, you know, that second 11 got injured, a couple are leaving and the rest basically have not done anything to suggest um, that they're good enough to play in the first team, apart from Jack Wilshire. So fair play to him. So look, that was the team that we were going to have to play. It was the team that we did play and it should have been enough to beat Bournemouth. And it wasn't because ultimately we don't have any, uh, what's the, I don't even know how to describe this. We don't have a system or a structure yeah. that allows us to win with slightly better or more than slightly better players. We basically have to have a couple of world-class players turn up and do something or Giroud score to win games at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about being reliant on individualism, which I think is a theme we've we've touched on before in the podcast. Uh, and just to clarify, I think when you're talking about the team we put out yesterday, that was our first team. That was the best team we could have put out with the players that we had available. Obviously, Sanchez yeah. is is uh, is a different issue. But uh, yeah, when you take players like Sanchez and Ozil out, though, there isn't that individualism in the side. There isn't that that craft or the quality or a player who can make a difference. I mean, I think what was most striking to me yesterday um wasn't really team selection it wasn't seeing us play without any real identity without any real rhythm or form i think i've got used to that over the last little while with this arson wenger <laughs> construct but watching alexandro lacazette a guy who we spent more or less 50 million pounds on in the summer uh, a striker absolutely starved of service and he took it upon himself to drop deep into the midfield to do what we've seen Ozil do, to do what we've seen Sanchez do, which is to pick up the ball and look to make something happen for someone else because nobody's giving him anything to work with. Uh, you know, the frustration from him yesterday was absolutely palpable. And what it shows you, I think, is the the lack of a defined plan or a defined playing style that when your main striker, a guy we've been like screaming at to get 90 minutes. We give him 90 minutes and he spends the final 20 uh, deep in the midfield looking for passes for Theo Walcott or Danny Welbeck or even Aaron Ramsey who ended up further forward in the centre-forward position in the final stages of the, uh, of the game. It was it was mad. Yeah, I mean, look, with Lacazette, I feel for the guy. He, he was clearly sold on being part of this league-winning monumental front three of which one is definitely off and the other, you know, we'll see about, um, I, you know, his form this season has probably been symptomatic of the overall team. I, I know you guys have discussed it on here. I think he's actually a very good player. He's clearly a good footballer. He's not necessarily the player we thought we were signing. Um, what did yeah, you, like, what did you think we were signing when we signed Lacazette? What did you think we were signing? I spent, you know, and to be fair, apparently this is what he was three years ago. I thought we were signing a pacey number nine who Ozil and Jacker and whoever else could just knock the ball through the lines or over the top two. And he'd basically what Walcott thought he was when he was a striker. Mm. Um, and we didn't get that. But what we did get is a very good footballer who's got intelligent link up play, is surprisingly good back to goal, um, brings other players into the game and appears to be a very good finisher who, granted, is probably a bit uh, low on confidence at the moment and clearly looks a bit miffed at the whole situation. 
Yeah. But he does keep going. He's probably a harder worker than I thought. And look, he's a good striker. But these guys can only be expected to score goals if you get them the ball. And I think, you know, we'll get on to Aubameyang and all the other 400 elite strikers that we're signing in a minute. But, you know, you can have 50 strikers on the pitch, but if you're unable to get the ball out of your own half regularly, if you can't keep the ball, if you can't move the ball into the right areas and, and at the same time get other players up around your front three or your kind of main striker you're not going to score many goals. How much of this do you think is down? I mean, personally, I think this is a... The big, big problem that we have, I think, is midfield. That if you can't control a game from midfield, you you go through periods of form like this or you, you know, you're... If you can't link the the three areas of the pitch, your defense, your midfield, and your your attack, you're you're in trouble, right? So controlling a game from midfield takes some pressure off your defense. And when your defense is as flaky and as frail as ours is, that's hugely important. That we've had yeah. worse defenders in the past, but what we've had is the ability to dominate possession, to control the game. It takes the pressure off them. Also, when you've got a good midfield and a midfield that functions, it feeds your forward players. You've got the ability to put players uh, left and right, for example, into space. Uh, You've got the ability, perhaps, to play passes to your centre forward. We don't have that. And to me, everything that we struggle with stems from an inability to deal with midfield issues. And that is something that the manager seems completely unable to deal with or to to correct yeah yeah no I agree look I think with football to a ridiculous level ultimately if you're trying to control a game you can control the ball which is obviously what Pep does or you could control space which is what United and Chelsea try and do so you know when you don't have the ball and this is this is kind of why defensive teams get a bit annoyed when people say you didn't control the game. Well, if you stop teams creating and make them have the ball on the halfway line and in wide areas, you have controlled the game. That's not us. Mm. Our game has always been about controlling the ball. And it feels weird seeing a Wenger team that, you know, we even got rid of... Yeah, OK, look, he played four four two in his earlier years, but for the last 10 years, he's always had three in midfield. Um, it feels weird that not only have we given up on that, there's no clear plan or strategy to just keep the ball or not even possession for the possession's sake, but move the ball well. Mm. Most of our possession is kind of along the back three to the wing backs and, you know, and that, that kind of U shape that, that, um, that Pep hates without referencing Pep too much. But if you read Pep confidential, you know, he'll go on about the point of, you know, keeping possession for possession's sake is pointless and it's easy to fend against a team passing sideways in front of you. And that's what we do. So even when we have good possession stats, it's not probing. It's not in areas that are dangerous. We don't really have a midfield that asks questions in the way it should. Um, you know, the, the the two one up front kind of Özil still works in that, but I, I feel like he was much better in a three because you get wide players stretching them a bit more. It just all feels a bit. Yeah. You know, we couldn't defend, so we threw an extra centre back in, and that kind of took everything else out. It didn't help us defensively, and we're worse with the ball. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we we look to we look to all the penalties that Arsenal have conceded, and people go on and on and on about Petr Cech and how he hasn't saved any penalties. I get that. Maybe it's a an issue. Maybe it's a problem for Petr Cech. But the increase in the amount of penalties that we concede, I think, can be traced back to the fact that we don't have a midfield that controls the game, that we're constantly on the back foot. A lot of our defending is last-ditch defending. 
And that's what helps bring about these penalties. Some of them have been generous awards, and some people will say, well, it's referees, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when you when you can't control a game from the most important part of the pitch, then you're always, you're always going to struggle. But look, there was a moment of midfield quality. That came from Alex Iwobi. A beautiful pass inside the defenders to Hector Bellerin, who finished to put us 1-0 up. And... Uh, I think credit to both players, Bellerin for making the run, Iwobi for spotting the pass and actually making it because it it has been a little bit of a weakness on his part is is not being able to make those passes. Yeah, I think first and foremost, credit to Arsene Wenger for turning Hector Bellerin into the preeminent goal-scoring wing-back of of, of 2018 football. (laughs) Um, And to be fair, as much as Sean Hector, I think... He's actually, he stepped his game up a bit. Uh, he gets a lot of criticism and he's still got a lot of areas to improve. But he is, a, you know, he's fundamentally a 21-year-old wing-back playing in a team where no one has an idea what they're doing and everyone looks a bit shit. So I want to just, you know, fair play to him for that. Um, Iwobi is another, is another one where he's probably getting a lot more criticism than he deserves. He has not been great this season. He definitely doesn't suit playing from the right. His whole, you know, his technique, the way he plays, his kind of body positioning is much better suited to coming in from the left and playing forward. And he has struggled playing from the right. Uh, it's probably not a huge surprise that he was kind of more in, in an inside channel or a bit in more of a central position when he played that pass. Mm. And he did it very well. I think he's got, you know, he's got a lot to improve on. Um, and I think fundamentally the reason we keep him and the reason we use him and the reason he broke into the team Yes, his attitude and, and, and ability are good, but it's his style of play that's probably the most important. And it was good to see him driving forward and against Chelsea, even though the end product wasn't quite there. He's clearly a player who knows what he wants to be doing. He's been low on confidence. He's been getting a lot of stick. But again, he's probably... Uh, you know, he's a young player who, had, who needs to develop and he's in a team at the moment that can't really afford to be carrying too many young players that still need to develop. But he did well, and he probably is best suited to a loan. But he did well for that goal. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't send him on loan. I do think at this point, focusing too much on individuals when the fundamental problem is the lack of a playing style or a lack of a system which allows you to make players interchangeable to a certain extent. You know, I think there's confusion. Uh, within the squad I think there's been confusion since we went to the back three and I thought it was really you know perhaps typical of Arsene Wenger's thinking over the last little while slightly muddled in a way that after what was probably our best performance outside of the FA Cup final with a back three which was the the game against Tottenham where we won 2-0 he reverted to a back four for the next few games and I don't think that the players ever really fully bought into the back three, but you could see how it worked against Tottenham. And then to change to a back four and then to go back to a back three, uh, you know, I don't think any of this is helping the players. I don't think the young defenders are being helped by it. Chambers and Holding, for example. Uh, I don't think someone like Iwobi is is being helped by it. I see people talk about Hector Bellerin as if he's some kind of idiot, like he's a player that is absolutely useless. And if you were to turn around and put him on the market tomorrow, you can be quite sure that someone like Guardiola would be straight in to try and buy him again, as he has tried to buy him a couple of times. 
Guardiola has a number of times tried to buy uh, Hector Bellerin from, from Arsenal, has been told quite rightly where to go. Um, you know, that kind of a strong stance when it comes to selling our players isn't necessarily consistent, as we'll talk about when we come to, to Alexis Sanchez. But, you know, I, I do think in many ways the players are, are struggling and look worse because they're in a, a system that just lends itself to that. Yeah, I think there are a lot of players at Arsenal, most of them, um, who if you went and put them in any other team in the top six, would look pretty good. Um, And I think that just says a lot about how we set up. I'm not completely absolving the players of all blame because there are too many individual errors. But I, you know, a lot of that probably comes back to confusion and no one really knowing what they're doing and not knowing where anyone is. I think Mm. it says a lot that probably, you know, our two best players in this system, whilst also being our two best players, are actually players who basically ignore the system. So Ozil and and Alexis have complete free rolls. So whilst there's this whole supposed 3-4-3 system, they just go wherever they want, which they do in any formation we played. Yeah. and it is difficult for the young players to come in. I think, you know, I was, I was saying it during the week, like 10 years ago, look at Clichy, look at look at a lot of players we brought through. They would come through as young players into a successful team who knew their role and they were kind of coming in to get some experience and learn off successful, mature teammates. It feels like young players who are getting a game now are getting a game because we don't have any other option and they, you know, they're good and let's see what they can do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we had this discussion about young players and, and the sort of the the ceiling, not the ceiling, but they hit a wall at some point or they hit a plateau in their development that they very rarely seem to be able to get through. And, uh, you know, it's hard to look beyond coaching for that. But, you know, look, having gone 1-0 up, it, it always felt like we were going to have to defend well because I couldn't really see where another goal was coming from. So to concede two in four minutes and hand the game to Bournemouth was uh, pretty pretty disastrous. Impressive. It was impressive. It, it was it was impressive, but God, you know, it wasn't in the least bit surprising. Not in the least. There used to be a time, you know, when I was watching uh, when I watch Arsenal and uh, an opposition goal goes in and your stomach sinks. You know, you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach. It's like, oh fuck. And now it's just kind of like, yeah. That's what happens because that's who we are and that's what we do. I mean, the first goal, schoolboys chasing after the ball. I think there was four Arsenal players running after one man down the down the wing. Poor from that point of view, but poor goalkeeping for you? <laughs> um, yeah. Can we, uh, can we deal with the schoolboy bit first? I mean, sure, yeah, yeah. A goal should not happen from there on the pitch, right? Like, it's that simple. We probably had six players back. I think it was all of our back five and and one of the midfielders. Mm. I can't remember exactly. They had one player wide and one player in the box. And that is, it should be safe. So whatever you say about us getting exposed or anything, at that point, it should be safe. For some reason, four of those six run to the ball. Yeah. Run, where there's no danger. Yeah, I'm watching it now. And I get, I get that Maitland-Niles is young and inexperienced, but he's also probably the fastest of all of them. And if anything, you just drop and contain. And that ball is not getting to Wilson. Um, it, 
we did something similar against Liverpool at home for Salah, one of Salah's goals. But I think as much as I think we don't coach our defence and, you know, there is terrible coaching, you know, that is schoolboy stuff. That is something that you just learn not to do age 15 if you're a top centre or top or professional footballer. So it's on all of them. It's, it's probably on the coaching as well. It's on all the defenders. Having said that... Um, Czech could have done better. I want to say should have. I mean, if you come for them, you should get them. You're not going to get all of them. Um, David Priest, who's actually really good on goalkeeping stuff on Twitter, he's ex-Sunderland goalkeeper, basically said it wasn't terrible from Czech to come for it. But he looked to catch it, which slowed him down. And if he'd probably just tried to clear it, he would have got there. Mm. I don't really know. I don't think we should have been in that position. And it's one of those, and we've seen it a number of times, where our goalkeeper almost feels obliged to bail us out because he's been sold a bit short. Yeah. I don't want to excuse Czech fully. I do think it was a mistake from him, but we shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. Yeah, I think he said himself, you know, if I come, I've got to get it. So he didn't, and and that goes on him because if he'd stayed on his line or if he'd stood there, you know, he probably would have had a relatively tame shot to to deal Mm. with. But, you know, when you look at the still image of... I'm just, I've just stopped the video here because I was watching it. You've got Maitland-Niles chasing Fraser, I think it is, down the down the right-hand side. Mustafi, Xhaka, and Rob Holding all together um, with one man behind them. You've got uh, Callum Chambers trying to make his way back and Hector Bellerin chasing in Wilson, uh, who poked it in. So, you know, it's shambolic defending. It's six, uh, three on six. And because we've got four players within three yards of each other, it, we're just completely and utterly exposed. Arsene Wenger's... Um, reaction to that goal going in was to take off Callum Chambers who yeah. I, I thought had played pretty well to be perfectly honest um, and I thought the you know the back three in general had been okay well, he went to a back four Mustafi was a little bit out of position Holding went to play offside. For the first time ever. Uh, yeah, Mustafi. Yeah, God Almighty. Um, that's. A, I think that's a separate podcast. To be perfectly honest, uh, where, I've, got, where, I've got plenty to say on Mustafi. Well, you know, let's have a go then, because um, I don't think he was like particularly culpable for for any of the goals. He was a little bit out of position. But I've never seen a set. Well, no, it's it's not true to say I've never seen a centre half who ends up out of position so often, but he just gets attracted to the ball so, so often and leaves all this space behind. What's your take on him or what's your take on his issues? Well, I, I haven't seen many centre-backs play for us who have the ability to put in 10 out of 10 and 1 out of 10 performances. Um <laughs> And he's up there. You know, there'll be games when he'll mark, man-mark Diego Costa out of the match and play like he did against Spurs. And then there'll be games where he will literally cost you the game. Um, he is 25, which is young for a centre-back. Um, and I actually think his raw attributes are really good. His passing is is very good. It might not be as good as he thinks it is. It was terrible um, yesterday. It was 60% passing accuracy yesterday, which for the middleman in a back three is really, really poor. You need that guy to build the play a bit. And that was, you know, and normally he's much more solid than that, it has to be said. Look, I mean, his his passing is better than most centre-backs, but the way he uses that is he get he thinks he's some German Pirlo, basically, um, and starts spraying it and trying the most ridiculous attempts to force play. I, you definitely want your centre-backs starting play and not just playing safe passes, but he does take it too far. 
I think he's one of those where he's got all the raw attributes you want in a centre-back. He's also very good in the air and he's very vocal. Um, but he needs coaching. And I feel like, you know, you put him in a system where a more rigid system with a more natural defensive coach and you probably get something really good out, out of him. I, I don't think Arsene Wenger is the kind of person you want coaching Mustafi um, or any centre-back, arguably. But... <laughs> um, I, I can get why you bought him because there's a raw, there's the raw potential for a very good defender there. He's he's a year older than Koscielny was when we signed Koscielny, and Koscielny was a nightmare for a while after we signed him. Um, it does appear like Mustafi's probably being trained or used like we used Koscielny as that front foot hunter mm. who kind of just chases people down, and it kind of is okay as a role if everyone's drilled on it because if one steps up, the other two just cover, but. That's not what happens. And more often than not, we just get left with a staggered back three and easy pickings and someone being onside when they shouldn't be. Yeah, it's it's a problem. I mean, defending is is has long been a problem. But uh, you know, when, when you're when you're as frail as we are, um, you know, I th- I think there's just general confusion. You're playing people out of position as well. Maitland Niles, you know, I like and. Uh, He's doing his best uh, left back or left wing back. But, you know, I think it's in some ways unfair to him. But look, they scored a second goal. Xhaka found wanting in terms of his tracking back from midfield. But did you feel after they went ahead that there was enough in this Arsenal side, either in terms of quality or character, to get back into it? I mean, I didn't see a huge amount after we went 1-0 up. I think Welbeck missed, I wouldn't say a sitter, but a good chance. Uh, and I feel like we missed one other. And it was one of those where whilst it could have been 2-0 to us before they scored, I just got the feeling after they equalised that they were more likely to score than we were. Mm. I didn't... It just... I mean, we've seen that game a hundred times before. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's frustrating. I don't really know what to say. I want to say something fun and make everyone enjoy their Mondays. But it was nothing other than familiar predictable choose whatever word you want i i couldn't you know if we were going to win it it was going to be a scrappy goal it was one of those where Giroud might have won it for us or a set piece might have won it for us back you know last season or whatever it was Mm. i couldn't see us earning a win there what does that say about us as a team that we are facing uh, yeah okay well that's fairly blunt (laughs) um (laughs) You know, we, we, we're playing a team who, who have won one game in 12. A bit like with West Brom. We couldn't beat West Brom, who hadn't won a game since the opening month of the season. And we couldn't beat them. I know the circumstances were uh, a little bit different there because of the penalty award and everything else. But within the context of 90 minutes, we still couldn't do enough to, to make that game secure enough that that decision, um, as bad as it was, didn't matter. Um, it, is, it is a very average-looking team, a very uninspired looking side players who just look like kind of they're going through the motions. I don't want to say that any of them aren't trying, but I find it hard to believe that they have any faith in what it is that they're being asked to do. If If indeed, yeah, if they even understand what it is they're being asked to do, you know, I, Um, I don't get, I don't get what we're trying to do or how we're trying to do it. I don't know how we're, how we're supposed to play. I, I feel like I don't feel like we're particularly worse defensively than we've been in the last seven or eight seasons. Um, I think what happened was we kept coming second or third, um, and 
Well, we had, an, we had an attack in a midfield that could cope well, with being defensively yeah. weak, and now we don't. This is what, I mean, I'm trying to get to, in my head, this is how I rationalise it. It's basically, you know, everyone sits there and says, Arsenal won't win the league because they can't defend, right? We we were really entertaining, good going forward. And yeah, that's all dropped off in the last few years, but whatever. Uh, and it's almost like we took a move to improve our defence, which hasn't, but it has just blunted our attack. You know, one of the huge things about going forward, one of the most important things is, is numerical superiority. Being able to create twos on ones, threes v twos, triangles, whatever you want to call it, in dangerous areas, free up the free man, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We took a man out of the final third, put him at centre back, didn't help us defensively, and have nothing going forward now. Mm. And you know, I think this might have been a game we won three two a year ago, or two nil, or whatever it was. I, if you can't defend, just go and score goals. Like Liverpool do it. I have a lot of issues with Klopp and whatever. And I think he gets he gets a free pass for a lot because he shouts a lot and whatever. But fundamentally, whilst his teams don't defend very well, they will win a lot of games just by scoring loads. Mm. As we saw, um, as we saw yesterday with the uh, the game against Manchester City, and thank you very much indeed to Liverpool for that for pri- uh, providing you know one bright spot to the day. Arsenal's invincible record remains intact, and anyone who thinks it's not uh, it's not worth preserving or or it's not something that we should still be proud of, you know, they need to take their heads out of their arses. It was an amazing thing that we did, and the longer it, be- it remains our thing, even if it's something that we have to cl- uh, cling to in the past, uh, it's something that's worth clinging to a bit. So. And, and I mean, of course, credit to Arsene Wenger for deliberately, you know, selling Chamberlain to Liverpool, knowing that, you know, we would not be able to end City's unbeaten run. And and Chamberlain, Arsenal legend, has has, <laughs> has gone and done that. Well done. So thank the you ice. for that. Yeah, well done. Also, just, just on that unbeaten record, I think, you know, there's a lot of people saying, you know, why is it more impressive to go unbeaten than, than you know, to set a points record to get 100 points? Um I think my view on this, I had to, I had to do some thinking because it's a fair question and I feel quite protective of our unbeaten record. I think setting the points record probably means you're a better team, but it's considerably harder to go a season unbeaten. Yeah. That's my view on it. Yeah. Look, it's it's unique. It's 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 really, really, really fucking hard to go through an entire season without losing a game. It's an amazing thing to do. Yeah, (laughs) a week for Arsenal. Yeah. So look, I I think it's something we should we should uh, remain proud of, even if it was in the past. But look, let's move to the big talking point before the game, and that was the fact that Alexis Sanchez was left out of the squad. Arsene Wenger did make it clear that uh, Sanchez would have played, but he said the situation is a bit vague. He's going to move, etc., etc. Firstly, before we get into possible destinations, what is your thoughts on how Arsenal have handled this situation from from last summer, for example? Um, like, would you have sold him last summer? They, go on, sorry. Would you have sold him last summer? 20, as in six months ago? Yeah, I don't mean with hindsight. Go back to last summer and you've got to make a decision. Do you keep Alexis Sanchez or do you take £60 million for him and give him to to Manchester City, who at that time we had no inkling were going to go on the kind of run that they were going to go on? Okay, so I'm going to say this fully in the knowledge that with hindsight, which is 2020, uh, I might sound a bit foolish. 
I think my view at the time was that it was worth keeping Alexis if he won us something, even if we lost him for free. Mm. And there was a lot of optimism around that front three and what we could do with it. And we just won the FA Cup. And, you know, the big miss in our team was a top striker and we just signed one for 50 million. Um, That's where I was. Retrospectively, it doesn't look very sensible. Um, I think that's the only time we could or should have acted differently. And I understand why we didn't. Um, we, you know, looking back, we were never going to win anything this season with this squad and this manager. But there was a rationale for keeping Alexis. I, I think now there's not much you can do, right? Like, I don't think the club have many choices. And I think selling him kind of just suits everyone, really. But yeah, I mean, we've, we've basically, I don't think we wouldn't be lower than sixth if we'd sold him and not even replaced him. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I was very much okay with keeping him because, you know, we've sold our best players before we've got to this point. They've got 12 months left on their contracts and why they won't sign contracts. That's another question. That's another well, issue. Never, entirely. I mean, he was never going to sign a second contract yeah, anywhere. Exactly. And he never was going to sign and the club were fully aware of that, that they, he really had no intention of, of signing a new deal. But I think, last summer I could see okay let's show that we're actually uh, determined to keep our best players even if it means losing him on a free be consistent tell him you're staying and that's the end of the story don't countenance any other uh, outcome to that situation but what they did was they said all summer long he's staying he's staying he's staying we're not going to sell him he's going to see out his contract he's staying and then we at the final stages of the transfer window absolutely fucked it all up by trying to sell him to Manchester City by actually agreeing to sell him to Manchester City and by trying to get in Thomas Lamar now that if you'd done that in June okay I'd have been on board with that not ideal I wouldn't have liked the idea of selling Sanchez to City then now I'd take it like in a heartbeat Sell him to Manchester City mm. now is not a fucking problem because uh, I can't. I just can't bear the idea of him going to Manchester United. But we made a mm. mess of this ourselves. And it, it all ties into the way that we deal with our top players, our top talents. We as a club are unable to keep our best players. Not because of, not really because of money. People say, oh, they want to go because they want to earn more money. Why do they want to go? I mean, you look at, why did Fabregas go? Did he go to Barcelona to, uh, Barcelona to earn more money? No. He went to Barcelona to play for the best team in the world at that point, for the best club mm. playing the best football in the world. Van Persie, why did he not sign a new deal? Because he wanted to win the Premier League and he knew he was not going to win the Premier League with Arsenal. I, you know, we're, we're in the same situation now with, uh, with uh, I mean, Nasri. I don't really put Nasri as one of our best players, but as a talent. But Sanchez, why does he want to leave? Because he's playing in a team that's playing Europa League football. That isn't challenging for the Premier League, and he is a guy who's driven and who wants to win things. That's the bottom line of it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's yeah, a common I, thread that runs through the club and through you know life under Arsene Wenger. Look, I think there's a lot to unpick there. I mean, on, on the frequency of this, like if you, well, it boils down to you know, we, Fabregas was six, seven years ago now. Uh, Van Persie was three years ago. Alexis no, is now five. Van Having Persie said that, was five years, years ago. Five. Twenty twelve. Yeah. Okay, so we haven't lost a top player for five years. Having said that, we haven't had any other top players to lose in that time. Yeah. Um, 
it's, it's a tough one, right? We sold Nasri with, with two years to go. We sold Van Persie with one year to go. They were both seen as taking the money. And then, rightly or wrongly, we took the stance we did on Alexis and changed our mind last minute. I, I agree with you. I think it's difficult to get annoyed at every single possible way of solving the problem other than wondering why no one's signing with us. Mm. Like, once a player decides not to sign, it feels like we're kind of damned if we do, damned if we don't. Any way we deal with it, we'll get criticised. Um, the Alexis one is is a bit of a mess. I do wonder if he was just really disruptive and a bit of a knob when he got back and Chile didn't qualify and, and whatever it was, and they were just like, okay, well, Carlos is here. It's still, it's still again, to the outside world, just seemed like chaos. Um, but, but yeah, we, I mean, I don't, I don't blame him for wanting to leave, which is a bit sad. No, I don't blame him either. I mean, I can see why he wants to leave. Um, you know, you you can see why from a sporting perspective he wants to leave, and you can say all you want about well, you know, we bought Ozil, we bought Sanchez, and even with them in the team. You know, we finished lower than we ever did. We finished outside the Champions League places. We're playing Europa League football. We don't look like we're going to get into the top four. And that's with them in the team. But I don't think you can pin that on them. I don't think that reflects necessarily on the players. I think it reflects on the, the way the club is is being managed. Um, Nasri only had a year to go, by the way, when we sold him. So that that was that was why we, we got rid of him or that was part of the, the rationale behind that. But uh, at this point, does it make any difference to you where he goes? If he goes to City or if he goes to Manchester United, you know, as a fan, people say you should look at it dispassionately. You should, you know, do what's best for Arsenal and get the best deal for Arsenal. So if Manchester United are offering more money, you should sell to Manchester United because that's what's best for the club. But as a fan... I can't feel that way about it. I just can't uh, give myself that distance. It, I mean, it feels like a, like go to Man City, go play with Pep Guardiola, go win the league this season, maybe win the Champions League this season. They're so far ahead of us at this moment in time, it doesn't matter. And United are ahead of us as well, but the gap is not quite so big. But also there's the history with United, there's a rivalry with United, there's the enmity between Arsene Wenger and Jose Mourinho. Mourinho, who has, down the years, taken every opportunity to belittle Wenger, to belittle Arsenal, to, to uh, take pot shots at our club, uh, you know, even if we're in a fucking mess at this moment in time, it's our club and we feel protective of it. Selling him there just would be an absolute kick in the bollocks from this football club, regardless of how they try and dress it up or how they try and present it to us or what they do to uh, to replace Sanchez. Selling him there to me would be just absolutely, I'd feel fucking terrible about it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're comparable at all. Um, I think... Uh, no matter how hard I try, I don't really have any negative sentiment towards City. I, they've never really been a rival. They kind of were shit for ages. We had about one year where we were level, then they overtook us. I kind of like what Pep's doing there. But I think the big, the bigger thing is I despise Man United. And I don't think, I just don't think Alexis going to City is that bad for us. Like, no. First of all, what you said about the difference. Second of all, he's 29. Um he, you know, he'll improve them for six months in a season where they've already won the league anyway. In a year and a half from now, is he going to be better than the, you know, uh, Sane or whoever they've got? Will they have signed any? You know, you've probably got one season where Alexis is in their first team and better than other options they have. Maybe two. Mm. 
he's, you know, I've seen you say the way he plays. Do you know how many more years does he have left at this level? Given to City, he's not going to change much in terms of the dynamic, and we'll get a bit of money. Given to United, and and yeah, they're ahead of us, but they're a much more direct competitor. Um, I would like Mkhitaryan, but I don't know if I want him enough to justify giving Alexis to United. Mm. If it was someone like Martial, then I think you're talking slightly different because of the age profile. But I mean, it, it feels like there's an element of the player choosing because the money from United is a lot bigger and his agent's getting a lot more. But we are still able to say, if you want to go, well, you're going to City and it's 20 mil rather than 30. You know, whilst I don't want to take 20 million from City... I'd rather take that. I'd rather sacrifice 10 million from a competitive standpoint. I'd probably rather sell him for 10 million to PSG, but I... yeah, that's not an option. You know, the two, there's the two options. I mean, I'd rather sell him to fucking city for a fiver than take 20 million from United. And people say, but well, that's stupid. Of course. Yeah, I get it, but you can't help feeling how you feel as a fan. You know, part of being a fan is, is the passion and the rivalry and the hatred and the dislike of other teams. You I mean, know? the cash is nothing right as well. The way they, the way they do transfers, if you sell for, 20 million you're getting six seven million a year that makes no difference and if you take a 10 million difference you're talking three million pounds a year which is yeah more you know that's that's half of what we save with Coquelin's wages it's it's just like Mm. it's an insignificant amount of money for the club to make a decision like this over Mm. yeah it's a bit of a mess we're gonna have to wait and see um wait and see what happens there but look what we're gonna do we'll probably revisit this in part two with the questions there's probably some uh, more specifics going on so what we're, we're gonna do right now take a little break we'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you've sent to us this week on Twitter and on Facebook. At Twitter, uh, Twitter is at Gunner Punner and at Arsblog and the Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Uh, JB, as you are the uh, you are the uh, the guest, you get to ask the first question, so fire away. Okay, uh, kind of a popular theme here. This one's from Paul O'Connor, which is at Paul underscore O'Connor 74. He says, 
Does it make a difference who we buy in this Jan window as we'll still have the same defensive problems while Wenger is in charge? Are we throwing good money after a bad after a bad at this team? Should we wait until the end of the season? Um, look, it's not inconceivable that players inconceivable uh, that players we bring in during this transfer window can have an impact and have a positive impact. You know, if you sell Alexis Sanchez, you've got to replace him because there isn't anything there in the squad that can do that. So, you know, Obama Yang's been mentioned. Malcolm from Bordeaux has been mentioned. Uh, players who could give us a bit more attacking threat. You know, Theo Walcott could be on his way out as well. So it's not impossible that these players could make an impact. It's whether or not that these players are going to be players for the future. Obama Yang certainly isn't a guy who's going to be, you know, a player you're going to build around for the next number of years. Malcolm perhaps is. I don't know really enough about him or I haven't seen enough of him bar a YouTube compilation, uh, which I watched the other day, one of those with the the terrible techno music. And I have to say, having watched it, I was all on board the Malcolm train. You know, he looked, he looked, uh, he looked good. Even for a, even for a YouTube compilation, uh, compilation, he looked, he looked good. So look, I can see the logic in people saying, what is the point in Arsene Wenger spending money uh, towards the end of the George Graham era, he he spent on Chris Kiwamia, Glenn Helder, and John Hartson right at the in the death throes of his um, of his reign, and they weren't really transfers that worked out particularly well for us. The hope, I suppose, is that the players we're bringing in, particularly Malcolm, the young guy from Bordeaux, are ones who have been identified by Sven Mislintat, perhaps, as players who can be part of the future of this club beyond Arsene Wenger. So if if mm. there's some input in that regard into who we're bringing in and who we're recruiting, if we're recruiting with the future in mind rather than just the next six months in mind, then yeah, it, it, could, it could make a difference. It could make a positive difference. I mean, I can see the... You know, the need for a forward. I can see the need for, uh, you know, an attacking player to replace... Um, Alexis, if and when Alexis goes, what I can't quite get my head around is why we're not being linked with any central midfield players, because I feel like that, uh, as I spoke about at the start of the podcast, is as big an issue as the Alexis Sanchez departure. Filling that gap uh, is important. Of course it is. But we've had this midfield gap now for 18 months, two years. It even goes beyond uh, the time Santi Cazorla was out injured. We've needed quality in that area and we've bought El Nenny, it hasn't really worked out we've bought Xhaka, it hasn't really worked out, we've got Aaron Ramsey, we've got Jack Wilshire, two good players but brittle players who you know, are in, in some ways uh, their roles are quite specific and we don't have anybody who can come in and really anchor the midfield so why we're not chasing that player as well maybe we are but why we're not publicly chasing them is is beyond me, so look Players can come in in this month. They can make a difference if they're good players and if they can um, settle down quickly and score goals, then that will make a difference to us. But I do understand the reservations people have. Yeah, I mean, I think I get the other the other argument, which is, you know, people basically saying doesn't matter who we play, uh, we're shit. And that's down to the system and the coaching and the manager. But you've also seen the impact Alexis and Ozil have when they play for us versus when they don't. Um, and therefore, you'd think that actually the only way we're going to improve in the next six months is individuals coming in with the ability to change games. 
Uh, I'm never going to complain about signing. I think you're right. If, if it's a missed intel, this new infrastructure signing, that's probably better for our outlook. Mm. Uh, and also if you sign someone in January, it gives them six months, nine months to bed in ahead of a new season. So I'm not against it. And I, and also you probably get ahead, you know, someone's going to move in the summer. Um, you might be able to get a player before someone else does. So I think the right signing now is is not a bad thing. I think spending for spending's sake is a bad thing, but given how poor we've been, I don't think you can argue it's spending for spending's sake. No, I mean, what else have we got? You know, what else have we got to try and change things? And I know we're going to discuss the manager and people will be screaming, a new manager, a new manager. I get that, but we're being slightly realistic here in the sense that it doesn't look like that's going to happen at this point in time. You know, our... Are Arsenal or have Arsenal behaved like a club that is going to sack a manager in mid-season? No. I mean, it would be a huge surprise to me if that were to happen. So what have we got? What do we do? Do we just sit and do nothing and hope that Arsene Wenger can turn it around with the players that he's got? Or do we spend some money now on some good players, or potentially good players, and hope that Wenger can... I don't know, rekindle or uh, refine, rediscover the spark a little bit in the final six months of this season because there is still something to play for. There's a European trophy to play for. Whether people like it or not, it's a European trophy. Not only is it a European trophy, it's a passage into the Champions League as well. It is the European trophy now. I mean, Wenger is a visionary. He went for it. He saw the Europa League as the trophy to win. Napoli have copied us, Dortmund have copied us, and now even Real Madrid are doing their best to get into the Europa League. <laughs> so I think, I think you have to admire Wenger's outlook there. Yeah, yeah. But look, you know, that uh, that's where we are. I mean, I think we have to, you can't just sit on your hands. And as, uh, you know, it feels panicky. Obama Yang in particular feels like a panic move if that's going to happen. It feel, you know, mm. if we were into him, why didn't we do it in, in the summer? It feels a bit panicky, but... What's the alternative? Do nothing. I think there's, I think there's quite a lot there with the with the Obama Yang one. I mean, I don't know if it's true, um, and if it isn't, that's helpful. But um, you do you wouldn't fancy him. Look, I'm never going to complain about signing a player of that quality ever. But a few things. Number one, I think signing a player whose game is largely reliant on pace in their late twenties is not necessarily a sensible thing to do. Uh, don't let Sam out Walcott. They can have him. He's a great <laughs> signing for them. Um, but I think you have to you have to bear that in mind. I think um, it's a bit of a weird thing to do straight after signing Lacazette. And there are other areas of the team that need the money more. Um, I'm sure he'd make us better. But you know, I think one of the things with with Obama Yang, if it happened, is it might be a direct it just might be a bit of a PR move. Like it might just be, he's probably the biggest name we could buy. He's probably the biggest name available right now. And he, you know, he's probably a bigger name than Alexis was when we signed Alexis. And it might just be, I'm not saying something good, but something that might need to happen to give reassurance to certain players that we can attract a certain caliber of player. Sure. Uh, whether that's the right thing strategically, I don't know. But I think there might be something like that behind it. And mm. that's very un-Arsenal. But... It's interesting. Yeah, an interesting point, actually. Yeah, to demonstrate that, okay, if we lose Alexis, we can bring in another big player. Because I think what the Alexis situation you know, shows, and, and potentially Ozil as well, it, it's damaging for the club 
to trumpet these guys as the the players who are going to take you to the next level, a new era. This is what we can spend now. These are the players that we can attract. And we did Ozil one summer, Alexis the next summer. Uh, and if we, them more. Yeah, and, and we didn't. And we didn't. That That's the key issue. 2015, that summer, ball, what we should have done was... man with a hat. Yeah, you know, whatever about bringing in P- Petr Cech, I got no real problem with that. But what you should have done was bring in another player of that caliber, another player of that quality, because that's what you do. That is how you build a team. That is how you uh, slowly and steadily build up the quality within your squad that you add players summer after summer after summer. You know, and we, we're not talking about the crazy days of having to spend 100 million or 120 million to get a top-class player. You know, that the money was there, we, we chose not to spend it. But yeah, there could be something like that to, to the Obama-Yang thing in terms of, you know, what, what it might mean and what it might say and, and perhaps um, go to the reputation of the club. Okay, we've lost Alexis, but we've got this guy. And... Um, you know, I, I mean, I like the idea of the, the the Malcolm signing, even though I don't know much about him as a player. But as a as a as a strategy, I kind of like that a bit more. You know, the idea that we could go out and identify young talent in the market and try and do perhaps mm. what Dortmund have done. You know, without necessarily the same pressure on us to do what Dortmund did, which is sell a lot of those players uh, once they became really well established. You know, we don't want Arsenal to go down that road. But I like the idea well, that that's our our potential strategy in the future with these new new guys behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the way for us to go is. Um, you know, ultimately, if you view us as a Dortmund with considerably more money, uh, you know, the, the question if they could have signed not anyone, but most young players in football. And I read a good article by, I don't know if you read Statsbomb, which is Ted Nutson's yeah. baby. Um, they've got an article, uh, there's a guy who writes for them called Mo, uh, Mo Squared. He, first of all, did a really good piece on Malcolm, who's an exciting player, who he's a good dribbler, questionable shot selection, but good signing. He questioned how much we were paying for him, but whatever. Um, His bigger thing was, you know, the way to go for a club like Arsenal is, you know, everyone's like, can you attract the top players? No one's expecting us to sign Neymar, right? Like when when you say, can we attract the top players? Does it matter? Probably not, because that's not what we need to improve. What we really need to be doing is going out and buying a number of exciting 19, 20, 21-year-old players who need a bit of development, um, but can contribute straight away. Mm. And whilst he might be a bit expensive, Malcolm feels like one of those. And if you can get a few of those in and one of them strikes big, then you make your money back three, four times over. Yeah, but I mean, it's not about money. It's about building a squad as well. I you know, know. I, I, that's a sustainable way of doing it. No, sure, I get, I get that. But I don't think, you know, that's necessarily... I mean, it might be something that we have to do and we have to certainly manage the way we we, we deal with players and deal with, uh, with sales a, a lot better than we have done. But yeah, I mean, I, mm. I, I like that as an idea and as a strategy going forward. You know, I think there are young players at the club around whom, you know, you, you can build certainly uh, some of the... the uh, young defenders, for example, we've got Maitland Niles in there who's shown a lot of promise. We've got a Wobi who I think could do better. Um, with, it's a with- really tough. It's, it's a tough one as well, right? Because like in the past, our excuse for not, you know, signing necessarily has been, oh, it would kill this person's career, whatever it is. Um, and I want us to sign first team players. At the same time, you do have to be aware that you've got players like Eddie and Reese Nelson 
I think they're still a bit too young to play in the first team. Yeah. But at some point in the next two, three years, they're either going to want to be playing first team football or leaving. And we saw it was Chris Willock, who maybe wasn't good enough. I don't know. But you have to factor that in. So maybe again, whilst, you know, an Obama Yang is not necessarily the right signing, buying someone in their later 20s kind of allows you still to bring younger players through. Mm. Anyway, look, anyway. We'll, yeah, we'll see what happens in, in terms of transfers. I have a question here from uh, Michael Greenberg, who's at Mike8Greenberg. And he says, do you honestly see any scenario where Arsene Wenger doesn't stay the full two years of the contract? Is there an actual rock bottom other than relegation? At this point, since it doesn't feel like we'll win a trophy this year, how much worse can it actually get? And I think Arsene Wenger during the week was at pains to point out that he has never um, never not honoured one of his contracts. And that, certainly in terms of his intentions towards where he wants to be next season, is is key. Like, he will stay the two years if... Um, if he's allowed. Yeah, look, I think, I think, let me address the, how much worse could it get? I think, without tempting fate, if I'm honest, I don't, we could play a lot worse. I don't think anything would get us lower than sixth. I just think the gulf between the top six and the rest is that big. I'm pretty sure we could end up playing our youth team or the weird second 11 that played in the Europa League and we'd probably still scramble sixth if we had to. Um, which means there's not a huge downside in my mind to changing things now. Um, I'm a huge, like, Arsene Wenger's all I've known as an Arsenal manager. I'm a huge fan of his as a person. I have a lot of love for everything he's done. And um, I have a lot of issues with the way that some people have tried to get rid of him and get him out of the job, because I think fundamentally there's a certain way to behave. Um, However, I've gone from, you know, every year he wins the FA Cup thinking now, would not be a bad time for him to move on to expecting him to leave in the summer and kind of getting myself okay with it. And then kind of meh about him staying because I like him and things will change anyway to kind of feeling like, well, he's probably going to have to go at the end of the season because, you know, it's just not getting better and it's only going in one direction and whoever it's on, nothing is really changing. And the only thing that's going to change is the manager. So I think where I am now, which is that, to be honest, what we've seen in the last two months is would justify sacking a manager in any any sensible context that you can think of. Like, I, I don't know what more we could do to justify, maybe losing to, to in the next round of the Europa League. But other, other than that, like, it's, it's surely this is literally like the, the lowest we could expect as a club this season. Yeah, I mean, it's very similar to last season, this this period of form you know when he went to the back three yeah but at least we saved it for March like yeah no I get it I get it I'm just saying that you know it's it's happening and it's happening again it's happening again I mean I can't see any justification whatsoever for Arsene Wenger to continue as manager beyond the end of the season and I'm trying to look at it um realistically in terms of what Arsenal will do or how Arsenal as a club will behave you know I, I think Another few defeats will put huge pressure on him. Huge pressure. I, I just don't think they'll sack him. No, I don't think they'll sack him either, but I think the pressure will become huge. I think yeah, it will become I mean, a big story, but I, you know, I can't see the club sacking him, nor can I really see Arsene Wenger walking away because he has this belief that the harder he works, you know, it will turn around at some point. And I think the last few years have, have shown us that you know we, we've become a cup team 
that's what we've become a successful cup team and there's you know there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself you know anyone who didn't yeah. enjoy the FA cup wins is is bonkers in my view but if you're looking at this club as one who wants to build and wants to be a Premier League title contender, who wants to win the Champions League, who supposedly and purportedly has the ambitions that Ivan Gazidis keeps talking about over and over again, although he's gone pretty quiet on that recently, surprisingly. But, you know, when he spoke about uh, the ambition for the club and how it wanted to be one of the big players in European football, we're nowhere near that. We are nowhere near that. And we're not getting anywhere near that with Arsene Wenger. We are not challenging for the Premier League again under Arsene Wenger. And the only way that this club is going to shake itself out of this cycle of... I'm not going to say... You can't say a cycle of failure because we've won trophies. But this cycle cycle of of meh. Meh. Mediocrity. Averageness. The only way that it can happen is for the manager to change. That's yeah, it. I mean, I could maybe see, I can't see them sacking him in the season. I could see an announcement, um, although they'd probably worry it would destabilise the team. I don't know if you could destabilise something that isn't stable, but yeah. whatever. Um, in his defence, look, I, I feel like he needs defending against things like saying there's no ambition and he's not a winner and whatever, because I think his standards are higher than most. His personality is incredibly driven, incredibly stubborn. I think it's technical and I think it's ability wise now. Um, you know, that's what it is. Like like the Forest game. I don't think he showed disrespect to the card. We win it every year. He thought that team was good enough to win. He thought that he could win with that team and set them up to win. And he couldn't and they couldn't. Mm. And yes, that's on him. But that's not on his ambition or drive or anything. That's purely on what is now probably, you know, that's managerial ability. And arguably technical ability of the players, but that's his recruitment. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love the man, but I think, you know, let's be fair. I think you need to be fair and you call him out where you call him out. But I don't think it's personality other than stubbornness, but no. whatever. Look, I, I can maybe see an announcement. I think I can also see the club using the fact it's a World Cup summer as an excuse not to do anything, mm. uh, which they've done before. Because in reality, you, you have a, you know, either, either you get stuff agreed now and it's all ready to move. So we sign players, agreed deals, get a new manager in, ask them who they want. It's all agreed June. And before the World Cup kicks off, we've done medicals and announced signings. But it's <laughs> Arsenal, so that won't happen. Um, or you do everything hastily in, in a month or six weeks in the summer. I mean, those are the options, right? Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I just don't know how they're going to play it. Um, I just know that, you know, if we lose more games like the one against Bournemouth, um it, it the the pressure will become impossible, and like you say, at any other club or, you know, anywhere anywhere else, he he would be sacked for this kind of run of form. Um, just very uh, moving on. I, I know it's your question, but I've just got one here. Um, from uh, Marky Mark, who's at Marcus underscore Mangan. Hello, Marcus. Um, he says at this point in time in the competitions that we have left, what are your predictions for the end of the season? So Premier League, Europa League and EFL Cup? Um, For the Premier League, I think we'll... Look, I I don't think any of the other teams apart from City are great. It's just that we've managed to outshit them all. Everyone's dropped points in easy games. And if I had any faith, I think if we got our act together, we could easily finish top four. But I don't really see that happening at the moment, if at all. Um, 
maybe we could sneak fifth. I don't have huge expectations. My guess is we'll qualify for the Europa again. Yay. Um, well, I'd pick like a league position. Surprised. I'm going to say sixth. I think we'll finish yeah, sixth. Yeah, I'll say sixth. I'm, I'm resigned to it. It's not even apathy anymore. It's just fatalism. I don't, I like, I don't not care. I care Re- a lot. Realism. I don't a lot. Realism more than fatalism. I think it's uh, just a realistic yeah. view of of this squad and how it's performing and what it's capable of uh, at the moment. So I don't think sixth is is uh, is difficult. EFL Cup, how do you see that? I don't really care. Not what I asked you. <laughs> sounds sounds bad. How do I see that? Um, I I think we'll go out on away goals to Chelsea because we go out of away goals in everything. <laughs> I think we'll get to the um, final. I think we'll lose to Man City in the final. Which is a much better result than, than losing in the semi-final. Um, Do you think? There we are. Yeah. Nah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look, it's one of those I mean, things. I want to be Chelsea, and I don't know why. They're the only team we can play well against. So, yeah, is what it is. All right. And um, the, the Europa and League, then. Europa, then. Hmm. I mean, I'd like to think we'll beat Um I've got to be ambitious to say we'll get through. Then, look, we've... We've done well against all the kind of good Champions League teams in previous years. Uh, it depends who we have in our squad. Our team from last season, if we had Alexis and Ozil, I'd, I'd probably expect us to win the Europa. Napoli are very good. If we come up against them, I can't see us winning. Same with Dortmund. And I think Atletico in the Europa now? Yeah. Yeah. So if we can avoid those three, then maybe. Look, I mean, I just said we're a cup team and... Um one of the traits of that is is being able to do well in knockout competitions. You look at some of the performances that we've had on the way to winning the FA Cup down the years, you know, we've beaten Liverpool, we've beaten Tottenham, we've beaten uh, Manchester United, we beat last year, we beat Manchester City in the semi-final, we beat Chelsea in the final when nobody really gave us a chance. So I think if there is any kind of um, salvation to be had from this season, it comes from the Europa League and the potential of the Europa League to A, provide us with a European trophy, which is something that Arsenal don't have a great deal of in their history. Only mm. twice have we won a European trophy. So to put one of those on the shelf would be fantastic. And if you can focus these players, if you can focus them not only to concentrate on the fact that there's a trophy, but a way back into the Champions League, which is something that most of them will want. Mm. They'll want to play Champions League football maybe we can get it together to go all the way in the Europa League. I don't think it's, I think, I don't think it's beyond us um, given, given the way we are. I think that has to be our priority. Like it's the only thing that means anything in the context of next season. Um, I don't know what's going on with Ozil. My general feel on him is he wants a reason to stay. Um, like he loves London. He loves, he really enjoys playing for the club, but it's just, you know, he's more motivated to stay than Alexis. And I think a few signings in Champions League football is probably the only way we can do that. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, the main, the main thing here is if we win the Europa League uh, and the League Cup, then we have a Jose Mourinho treble. And, <laughs> Three fingers. You know, look, Mourinho did it last season and got praised for it. Wenger does it this season and it's hang the worst on. ever no, season. No, hang on. Mourinho so, did it last season and everyone called him a cunt for doing it because he took into no, account well, the, the community shield. Come on. Separately. He's yeah. that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, we'll see. Well, look, that's that's the prediction. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how far we can go in the Europa League, but I hope we can go hope we can go, uh, go the distance. Your question. Right. What have we got? 
Um, Cameron Deman. Um, I don't know who he's at. Cameron Deman. I don't know if his name is Deman or if it's it's but it's D. Right, so I'm, I'm going with that anyway. He's Deman. Uh, says, does the age profile of the starting eleven yesterday explain why we were not able to see out the game? Arsenal had seven players aged 25 or younger yesterday, and then he lists them. So it's Holding, Mustafi, Chambers, Bellerin, Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, Iwobi, and Jacker. Maybe, maybe. I mean, experience is one of those things that uh, people take for granted in many ways. Um, but I think you know, would we have been? I mean, no, in my, I think, I think we've been the same with whoever yeah, plays. You know, would we have um, been better if Mertesacker and Monreal had been on the pitch? Maybe not. You know, I mean, the age profile of the team yesterday was interesting because there is there is kind of a split in the squad, isn't there? I, I mean, I think, you know, we were discussing just before, I think kind of the opposite. We actually have a much older squad than we've had in a long time. There's a number of young players in the squad this season, um, partly through Europa and partly just because everyone else is, is kind of not done enough to be in the team. So the, play, the young players playing now are there because, you know, they're, they're kind of um, like a last resort almost. Uh, you know, the first half of this season and most of last season, we've actually had quite an established, experienced team. So, uh, you know, inexperience is, is not something to throw at this lot. And if anything, it's kind of worrying that Koscielny, Mertesacker, Monreal, Czech, um, and a number of others probably need replacing need replacing in the next year or two. So we have a big rebuild to do, and that's that's kind of key first team players in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean there is, and we don't. Well, I was going to say we don't really know if if the younger players in the squad are capable of of doing that yet. No, but I mean I think one of the issues that we saw with the project youth, if you want to call it that, was the fact that we got rid of far too much experience far too quickly, that we put a lot on these young players and expected them to to learn, to come through without necessarily the, the requisite guidance, you know? Um, they were just sort of thrown in and told, you're good enough, believe that you're good enough, and play. And some of them sank and some of them swam, some better than others and some sank much much more quickly than, than others. So I think you do have to maintain the experience in the squad. You know, these guys are important when it comes to young players and for young players to mm. reach their potential, they do need, not just from coaches and not just from whoever, they're, uh, whoever they've got at home, but people on the pitch and people on the training ground who can advise them and say, look, you're having a bad period in your career, look, this is what happens. This is how you get through it. Or even in a game, you're not playing particularly well. You're a bit lost. Look, concentrate on doing this and just refocus. I think that's a, something people not underestimate, but they're too quick to point the finger at the young players without wondering, are they being taught well enough? Are they being taught what to do and when to do it? And mm. uh, yeah, I think the age profile of the squad lends itself to a bit more experience, but perhaps more in the mid to late 20s experience than 32, 33, which is where we yeah, are at this I, moment. I mean, I guess we don't have enough players in their peak years and kind of coming into their peak years. We've basically got old players and young players. All right, I think we got time for uh, for one more question. I think you've got it, do you? Yeah, go on. Josh Benson, at Josh Benson 1310, says, is it a worry that no one really seems to come to Arsenal and improve their game like they used to? E.g. Koscielny, Monreal and Santi. Well, yeah, I suppose. But I mean, Monreal and Koscielny 
I mean, Koscielny didn't improve straight away, did he? It took him a little while to improve. Um, Monreal, I thought, was a really solid player, but perhaps became a more rounded player when we started using him at centre-half and in a, in a back three. Uh, Santi Cazorla, I don't think Santi Cazorla improved at Arsenal. I think Santi Cazorla, uh, was, uh, he was a genius before he arrived. Um, and I think what he did was he adapted his game to Arsenal. I don't think anything that we did made him better than he already was. Um, I think there was a decision to play him deeper in the midfield, which wasn't anything other than, uh-oh, we've got to find a way to make our midfield work. And it happened to work for a little while with uh, with uh, Coquelin and Cazorla in midfield. But, you know, you could argue, I suppose, that Alexis became a better player at mm. Arsenal in terms of his uh, productivity and in terms of the, the goals uh, that he scored and the goals that he made. So, I mean, you, if you're... For all the criticism, you could hand Arsene Wenger some credit for that, for giving him the freedom to improve as a player. But how much of it was down to Wenger or coaching or how much of it was down to just this guy being hugely talented and and getting into his peak years? The issue for me isn't so much the players that come in. uh, Like, for example, I think Xhaka has been disappointing since he arrived. Mustafi hit and miss. Um, you know, and those are two big signings, 35 million pound signings, um, you know, maybe not in the current market. They don't feel that big, but they were big signings and they haven't really kicked on. They haven't improved the team the way that we would have wanted them to. The, the issue for me, and I'm, I'm, I've spoken about it countless times, is is the development of young players and how they don't seem to be able to get beyond a certain level. And that for me is a bigger worry because you could look at Mustafi and you could look at Xhaka and say, well, they're flawed players, whereas younger players are a bit more moldable. I think that, for me, is the bigger worry. Mm. I just don't think we have an environment that's kind of conducive to younger players developing. Um, I also think there's there's this thing where kind of players' age profile, their, their development profile varies a lot. So some people see someone who's quite good at 19, 20 and assume they have loads of room to go. Some players just peak young. Uh, I think Walcott was one where people say he hasn't lived up to his potential. He's had a pretty good career. Um, he scored some big goals for us. He was never Thierry Henry, but I mean, arguably that's too big an expectation. Sure. Um, but yeah, look, I think a number of players look like they've gone backwards. A lot of number of players look like they haven't improved. I think it's difficult to improve or develop if you don't have a clue what you're doing on the pitch if you're not getting the right guidance and coaching I think every day at the club or every game at the club looks like a struggle for for form I just don't think it's a good environment to be in um, I'm not surprised I mean it just sounds a really gloomy way to finish um, so we should have a fun question at the end but I mean well, I mean, but what yeah, did you make of the Oxley chamberlain quotes? You know, he's talked about how he's developed as a player under Jurgen Klopp. I mean, is that just a player who has got a new manager and is enjoying life with new ideas? Or is it is it saying something about Arsene Wenger as well? Like, I don't think the Ox is the kind of guy who's going to have a dig at Wenger. I don't think no, he's that I mean, kind uh, of character. It could just be him legitimately enjoying life under a new coach. But perhaps it's an acknowledgement right. that players need something a bit different in order to d- develop beyond the point to the that 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 they get to under under Wenger. I think first of all Klopp's game clearly suits Chamberlain more. Um and the quotes you're talking about the ones about pressing. Sort of about so, pressing but about making him a more rounded attacking player and and yeah I think there was one about mm-hmm. pressing as well, you know. So I mean I read two right one says you know the way he thinks about pressing is not how others do basically if it's a bad pass like slightly behind then it's a cue to press. 
I mean, Klopp's known for having one of the better pressing games in Europe. Like, I don't think it's that much of a surprise that someone who goes under him, goes to learn under him, is 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 impressed by that. Um, yes, especially in contrast to us, where our pressing is basically the front three sprinter, whoever's got the ball, and then everyone else just sits back. Um, and it works against some teams, it works against Tottenham, but we don't really have a sophisticated pressing game. So it's not surprising that that stood out for Chamberlain. Um, the thing about him shooting more... Again, that's just style. Like, there's plenty to say that actually it's not great coaching to say that someone should shoot more, especially from outside the box. Um, but then at the same time, I think you have to acknowledge that a number of players have commented on not the lack of coaching, but just Wenger's approach to training. Um, and it worked with some. Like, people want Ancelotti to replace him. I have a lot of time for Ancelotti. He's quite similar in the his, his game. His management style is based around getting the most out of individuals and kind of maybe the softer skills rather than hard technical drilling people into this rigid system. Mm. Um, managers have different styles, different styles suit different players and different clubs at different times. Um, you know, that's not to excuse Wenger of his weaknesses, but yeah, I don't think Chamberlain was having a dig there. I think he's probably genuinely enjoying life. Yeah. All right. One final quick one to finish. This comes from Ed White, who is at Sestrian Gunner, I think. He says, I bought a puppy last week. She is very generous with her snarfles, and I find they really cheer me up after Arsenal try and ruin my weekend. How do you try and cope after defeats in this shit show of a season? So what's your uh, patented recipe for feeling better? I mean, I feel like by now we should all have pretty good coping mechanisms, and if you don't, I mean, without you probably end up like the man on TV yesterday, just shouting into the abyss at, at the players. Um, I get offline. I send a few snarky tweets and go outside into the real world and go and see my friends and avoid speaking about football or today where I go and speak for an hour and record it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, look, I think in general, the main thing you can do is just pretend you're not a football fan. So, you know, when the average person at work or wherever you are who knows you, you like football comes and speaks to you, just tell them you're not into football anymore. And go and do other things with your life. And then soon, you know, got a week off now. And by the time we play, I think Palace next week, is it Palace next weekend? It is, yeah, Palace on Saturday, yeah. Um, You know, you'll have forgotten that we've lost every game we've played in the last year and have some blind optimism that we're going to win another game. So essentially do everything you can to forget the game and don't listen to this podcast and just get on with your life. Well, the thing is, they'll have already listened to this by the time we get to this, so True. I can say that. Well, they, they might not listen to the next one now. That's fine. I mean, that's unless not, you want me on it. It's not fine then. for me. <laughs> might be fine for you. Um, I would just... I'll do a separate podcast about <laughs> moose to distract people. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, I would just say to people, uh, Ed's uh, solution uh, of buying a puppy is fantastic, but please don't buy a puppy after every Arsenal bad result this season because you will just end up with... Uh, many, many puppies, far too many puppies than you can deal with. That's not good for the puppies. It's not good for you. There's like a puppy quotient. Don't take the defeats out on the puppies. No, no, nobody would do that. Well, I'm sure some people would, but no, no, nobody should. Um, Right. Well, look, we're going to leave it there. Thank you as ever for listening. Uh, JB, thank you for filling in for James, who I'm sure is having a a great time on the far side of the world um, while we're not but look what can you do we'll have an Arscast on Friday looking ahead to uh, Crystal Palace and we'll have an Arscast Extra with our final guest host before James returns next Monday until then take it easy bye bye
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.